Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Oh, we are so glad that you're here. We missed you. (laughs) It's true. Uh, We've been getting some great emails and messages lately. Uh, Our email address, by the way, is curator at theboxofoddities.com. I almost forgot. I was going to say, what happened there? I don't know. Kind of a brain fart. I liked it. Which is, by the way, a real medical condition. So don't laugh at me because I have brain farts. (laughs) Got this email all the way from Australia. That pleases me to no end. I know. It says, uh, hello, I want to share with you a little story that led me to the question I want to ask. Recently, I went to Ararat, Victoria to an old psych hospital as part of my student's mental health unit. I'm a a nursing teacher. I guess this is an abandoned psych hospital, which, jealous, we got to the general hospital part of the of the facility where they used to do the surgery. So much better than the days of our lives part of the hospital. The tour guide said, there were once operating tables here, operating suite and general hospital ward. Then he said, we also have an operating toilet. Well, I paused and I thought, that is the first time I've heard of that in any setting, let alone a mental health hospital. And then the light bulb went on. What he meant was it was a working toilet. (laughs) Because there weren't many working toilets left in this abandoned building. It wasn't a toilet that you do operations on. Well, I got the giggles big time, but it did get me to thinking, what would an operating toilet look like? Bizarre for sure. 
So my question is, what surgical invention ideas are there that never succeeded? Also, I just adore your podcast. You make my time fly by time and again. Flying my freak flag. Hugs to you, Jill from Ellerslie, Victoria, Australia. I actually did Google. uh, I did an image Google search on operating toilets, and I wasn't able to find anything that would remotely suggest medical equipment. Though, now that I think about it, there are probably a lot of procedures that, were they being performed on you, you might want to be on a toilet. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's true. I did, however, find a hospital bed with an integrated flush in it. Oh, that's a great idea. I want one. I will never leave my bed again. I could have used that during the uh, the thing when I was in a bed for two days when I donated my peripheral blood stem cells. Oh, when you did the bone marrow transplant. Yeah, and uh, I couldn't. I couldn't use the the little what's it called the, the bedpan that they brought me. Um, it made me too nervous. Got stage fright. And so for eight hours for two days in a row, I just held it. Oh. And the second day was real rough. (laughs) I can only imagine. (laughs) I would think that you would actually find benefit in that device now because every single night we get into bed and we get all settled down. The dogs are all curled up and snoring. And you go, oh, I forgot to pee. How do you forget to pee? It's true. You forget to pee. I do. I have the worst bladder to brain sensory business that uh-huh. there's ever been i must have been horrible to potty train because i i literally will go oh my god i have to pee so bad but there's been no lead up to that at all it's just like all of a sudden i i'm in pain your, your bladder hates you yep yeah <laughs> well i know what i'm getting you for our next anniversary Aww. yeah a bed flush that's okay. You're the one who changes the bed, so. That's true. All right, I go first. This episode, I'm I'm excited about this. James Dean's death car. Bum, bum, bum. Like the car that he died in? Yes. And all of the unbelievably weird, almost some would say paranormal things that have happened to it or did happen to it after the accident. I have not heard anything about this ever. Well, as you know, James Dean, big movie star in the 50s, big heartthrob. Sure. Also, sausage connoisseur. No, different guy. Oh. Different guy entirely. I just figured that was what made him like so badass. And all the ladies were like, oh, you smell like sausage. (laughs) I want to get up on that. Uh I can't handle it all with the leather and the meat smell. (laughs) I'm so turned on right now. You're such a bad boy of pork products i'm in <laughs> can't even stop me spreading them far and wide for you mr sausage man i can't wait how long is this gonna go on for <laughs> um, <laughs> so hard okay oh that's what she said so he just he he wrapped the movie uh giant which was his third film he only did three movies did you know that no you know b- because of his iconic stature People think he, oh, I did. I thought he did more than three movies. Sure, it makes sense. And when he died, two of them hadn't been released yet. Oh, my goodness. He only had one movie released. What, uh, how did he get to be so, so pop? Was he not as popular before he died? 
as he was after? He was he was getting pretty popular. They they were certainly marketing him as a heartthrob and a teenage bad boy from mm-hmm. the 50s and in that sort of thing. But Rebel Without a Cause hadn't even been released yet and that was the movie that really made him sure. an icon. Yeah. Question was Danny from Greece built on a James Dean I think every thing? every guy in the 50s wanted to be like James Dean. He was just cool. Now during the filming of Giant, they wouldn't allow him to race his cars. That was part of his contract. No racing. In fact, they took his license away from him. That makes sense. Because he he was a bit reckless. So when they wrapped the movie, the first thing he did was go trade in his Porsche for the newest, fastest, best Porsche out there, which was the 1955 550 Spider. Okay. And he was uh, scheduled to race it in Salinas in a couple of weeks. So he he took the car down and he had it customized and tweaked up so that it was like as fast as it possibly could could go. Sure. And this was an extremely light car. It was made out of aluminum. It was like pretty much a beer can with a jet engine. Mm-hmm. Dean called uh, George Barris, who uh, was a famous car guy. He he actually designed like uh, the Monkey Mobile in the old TV show, The Monkees. And uh, you, you know the uh, dragster that they drove on the Munsters? Yeah. It looked like a coffin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, uh, he designed that. So Dean had him customize the Porsche. He put in tartan seats and uh, two red stripes over the rear wheels and plastered the number 130 on the doors. And then he had to come up with um, a name for the car. And after the filming of Giant, he was living in his his trailer on the Warner Brothers lot, and they told him that he uh, he needed to leave and he wouldn't for a while. So finally, the head of the, the studio told security to throw that little bastard out. So he named his car Little Bastard. Nice. And had it painted on the on the door. So I'm getting uh, a lot of this information from Wikipedia, uh, a site called NotebookOfGhosts.com. That sounds like fun. So he takes possession of his new Spider, his Porsche 550 Spider, a week or so before his race in Salinas, which will be his first race with this car. Mm-hmm. And and many people were saying to him, you shouldn't buy this car. It's way more car than you can handle, than your experience driving. There were only like 20 of them available in the U.S. at the time. I'm sure that just made him want it more. Yeah, I think it did. The only way the uh, dealership would sell it to him is if he agreed to take the Porsche uh, mechanic with him during the races. He had to have this uh, this guy, Rolf Wutherick. Rolf Wutherick? Wutherick. R.W., we call him. We'll call him all the R.W. just because... Well, we often mispronounce things. So he wants to show his car off to his friends, and uh, Alec Guinness is one of his friends. And he meets Alec Guinness outside a restaurant, and uh, he takes him out to show him his brand new spider. Now, Guinness, according to his autobiography, said that he took one look at the car, and he told Dean that the car had a sinister appearance. And he said to Dean, quote, It's 10 a.m., September 23rd, 1955. If you get in that car, you will be found dead in it by this time next week. Seven days later, Dean would be killed in his beloved little bastard car. Oh my goodness. George Barris, the guy who helped him uh, design and customize the car, also told Dean the car seemed to give off a a weird feeling of impending doom. Mm. So one week later, September 30th, 1955, Dean heads out to Salinas for the race. He has his Porsche mechanic with him in the car, and they are driving it up because he wants to break the engine in. He needs to put a few hundred miles on this brand new car before he races it. Sure. A couple of hours into the drive, he gets pulled over for speeding. 
And he was going 65 and a 55, according to the uh, the speeding ticket. Okay. He continues on his trip at 5.15 p.m. He stops at uh, Blackwell's Corner. He uh, gets a, a drink, not alcohol. There was no alcohol found in his system, but like a Coke. And then he left Blackwell's Corner, driving west on Route 466, now State Road 46, toward Paso Robles, approximately 60 miles uh, or 97 kilometers away. This is according to Wikipedia. The Porsche crested Polonio Pass and headed down the long Antelope Grade, passing cars along the way toward the junction floor at uh, Route 466 and Route 41. At approximately 5.45 p.m., a black and white 1954 two-door coupe uh, driven at a high speed was heading east in the opposite direction. It was driven by 23-year-old Cal Poly student, are you ready for his name? Mm -hmm. Donald Turnipseed. <laughs> yeah. First of all, it's bad enough the guy's name is Donald Turnipseed, but then he kills James Dean. And he was the one speeding, right? Well, yeah, as it turns out, well, the legend is James Dean was was speeding, but they did uh, all kinds of crash analysis and even recently did a computer reenactment of it, and they determined that he was probably going, if he was speeding, it wasn't by much. He was probably going 55 to 60 miles an hour in his Porsche, and that... Um, Turnipseed was doing similar speed, 60, 65, something like that. Right. But Turnipseed was was taking a hard left with no signal. He was trying to beat his record home for the weekend from, from school. Oh, jeez. That's a horrible reason to kill someone. <laughs> yeah. Now, there were reports that Dean was speeding, but again, the, that was, I think, more of a myth sure. that surrounded his live fast, die young image. Dean was killed instantly by a broken neck. What happened was he was driving the spider, which was only 40 inches tall. Right. We've talked about this car, you and me, before, because it's the, the one that I've asked you about that looks like a hot dog bun. Yeah, it kind of looks like a hot dog bun. It was only 40 inches off the ground. So you sat very, very low in this thing. Right. There was no top to it, no roll bar. It was made out of aluminum, basically a tin can. Sure, yeah. But it had this incredible engine in the back of it. So what happened was he sees turnip seed turning in front of him. Mm -hmm. And he had just passed a car and gotten back into his lane. He sees turnip seed turning in front of him. He tries to go around turnip seed, but uh, isn't able to. He slides sideways his door into the oncoming vehicle, the fender, he hits his head on the fender of the car Ooh. and it breaks his neck. I'm surprised I didn't decapitate him. Yeah. Now, the mechanic that was traveling with him was thrown from the car. Sure. And he had some pretty serious injuries, but he survived. Dean, they say, was still alive when they pulled him out of the car, but that by the time he got to the hospital, they had uh, pronounced him dead. He was DOA. And in another incredible turn of bad luck, while they're in the ambulance, after this horrific car accident heading to the hospital, the ambulance gets in a car accident. No. Yeah, and they had to get out and inspect the damage and exchange numbers and stuff. Oh, my goodness. And Dean's dying in the back of the ambulance. That's awful. So that, that made it even worse. Oh, I'd never seen photos of this before. It is horrible. Yeah, it's, uh, if you look at... Uh, this is sickening. You, you look it up, the Porsche, after the accident, it just looks like a crumpled tin can. It's incredible to think that Dean even survived for a little while after that. What kept him from being thrown from the car, because this was before seatbelts, 
was that his leg got caught between the clutch and the brake pedal. Ooh. It got it got bent around his leg and it, it held him in there. They had to cut that off, not his leg, the, the pedals yeah. to, to extract him from the vehicle. And now the horrible history of this car since then. After the car accident, the guy who did the customization work, Barris, mm -hmm. bought the uh, the wreckage. When the car reached Barris's garage, it slipped during the unloading process and fell on a mechanic and broke one of his legs. Oh my goodness. Barris then parted out some of the uh, pieces of the car. Two physicians, Troy McHenry and William Eshrid, purchased parts from the wreckage for their own racing cars. On October 2nd, 1956, while using the parts, McHenry lost control of his vehicle and hit a tree and died. Oh. Eshrit's car rolled over and he suffered serious injuries, and both of those things happened in the same race. Oh, wow. Fans would often try to steal pieces of the car from Barris's garage. Sure. On one occasion, a man ripped open his arm on a piece of metal while trying to remove the steering wheel. Another person was injured trying to steal the bloody upholstery. Ew. So because of all these incidents, uh, Barris decided to store the wreckage, but only after he lent it out uh, to a driving safety exhibit. When the car was stored in a garage in Fresno, in between the exhibits, the garage caught fire. Everything in the garage was destroyed except the little bastard. So it goes back out on tour again, and while it was being exhibited at a high school, the car fell off the display and broke a student's hip. <laughs> Then later, as part of a highway safety program, they were trucking it up to Salinas, where he was going to race to show, you know, what can happen if you're not driving safely. Right. While it was on the flatbed truck on the way to Salinas, the driver lost control of the truck and was thrown from the truck. The little bastard came loose from the back of the truck and landed on him and crushed him to death. Oh my... What the... Yeah! Two years later, it was on a flatbed truck. It rolled off the back of the flatbed truck, or slid off the back, and caused an accident. Now, nobody was killed during that, but sure. come on. Yeah, no, this is this is creepy. It's starting to sound a little bit like a book written by you-know-who. Stephen King? Our Neighbor? Yeah, it sounds very Christine, doesn't it? Yes! Yeah, it really does. In 1958, a truck carrying the wreckage was parked on a hillside in Oregon. First of all, knowing the history of this car, don't park on a hillside. The brakes slipped. The truck crashed into another car. Luckily, only the windows were shattered and no one got hurt. The curse would ultimately come to an end, but while it was on display in New Orleans in 1959, or New Orleans in 1959, it was up on a display, and for no reason, it just broke into 11 pieces. <laughs> It just it just, just shattered into just eleven. Just, just the cause is not known, other than it was you know in a horrific accident and had been carted all over the place. But uh, while it was on display, it just unprovoked broke into eleven different pieces. <laughs> That's then amazing. In 1960, they were trucking it back to Barris's garage in Los Angeles. They had sealed the truck shut to make sure that nobody would tamper with it. Like a tamper-proof seal? Yeah, one of those kind of things. And so when the truck gets back to Barris's in Los Angeles, they inspect the seal. It's all fine. It's all good. They open it up. There's nothing in there. And it's been missing since 1960. They don't know where it is. What? Yep. 
That's true? Yes, it is true. Why would anyone want that? I mean, I get why you'd want it. Sure. But why would you want the curse that comes with it? An automotive museum actually put out a $1 million reward for the capture of, uh, of James Dean's car. Oh my gosh. If they can take possession of it, they will give the person $1 million. And a guy has come forward and said when he was a young kid in the early 60s, he helped his father and another man wall it up behind a false wall in a building in Washington State. Interesting. He said that while he was doing it, he cut his hand and he still has a scar. And he showed the scar, but of course that proves absolutely nothing. So he says he knows where it is, but he won't tell anybody until he's guaranteed to get the million dollars. And there's a big question as to who owns it now. I mean, Barris still has the pink slip on it. Mm -hmm. Is it, uh, does it belong to the person who owns the building that doesn't even know it's walled up there? Who knows? So they're trying to work all of this out, allegedly. Until then, we just don't know if, in fact, that's where it is. Interesting. It's called the Little Bastard Curse. And according to the folklore surrounding this, James Dean had some weird friends. And according to uh, superstition, objects can carry negative mojo, especially if the people who own them are into dark arts and some weird stuff like that. And according to several sources... Dean had interaction with the occult, and that could have caused the curse slash uh, crash. Uh, Rumor has it that uh, he was into Satanism and was involved with a uh, coven of witches in Los Angeles. Well, I think, I mean, that's judging by the way that he his persona was at that time and the way that society was at that time. Of course, certain people said that he was involved in Satanism. He wore a leather jacket. Yeah, yeah. This dabbling in the dark arts is attributed to his association with Mela Nurmi, who was an actress who played Vampira on TV. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was like the forerunner of Elvira. Sure. The legend is that uh, he denied any romantic relationship with her, and she didn't like that, so she placed a black magic spell on Dean. Anyway, <laughs> that's the legend. Dean is buried in uh, Fairmont, Indiana. Rumors of supernatural incidents surround his burial site. People see orbs. People see lights. Headlights? Well, it's funny you mention that. Others claim to see his Porsche cruising down the same highway of his uh, tragic accident. They see lights coming and then just disappearing. Ah. When When it gets to the point of where the crash is, they see lights and then nothing. The accident report said that um, it really wasn't anybody's fault, even though Turnipseed was driving kind of recklessly. (laughs) And I would, too, if my name was Turnipseed. Sure. But because James Dean's spider was so low to the ground and it was silver gray, they said that it probably blended in with the pavement. Right. And it was at dusk and it was just a horrible, horrible, unfortunate accident. Now, there's a guy who has a replica of this car, and I can't remember his name, but I saw an interview with him. He found a 55 uh, Spider 550. He had it painted and customized exactly the way that James Dean did, and he has a paint chip from um, the original James Dean wreckage that he carries with him in his Spider while he drives it. What? Why would you do that? Why would you invite that? You're tempting fate, sir. Anyway, there you have it, the story of the James Dean death car. A.K.A. Hot Dog Bun of Death. That's fascinating. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. But James Dean always struck me as kind of a D-bag, so I never really had much interest. 
Oh, I forgot one of the most important things. Oh, no. Two weeks before he died, he filmed a highway safety PSA. Let's take a listen to it. Jimmy, we probably have a great many young people watching our show tonight, and for their benefit, I'd like your opinion about fast driving on the highway. Do you think it's a good idea? Good point. I, I used to fly around quite a bit, you know. I took a lot of unnecessary chances on the highways. And I started racing, and uh, now I drive on the highways, and I'm uh, extra cautious. Because no one knows what they're doing half the time. You don't know what this guy's going to do with that one. One more question. Do you have any special advice for the young people who drive? Take it easy driving. The life you might save might be mine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's chilling. Two weeks later, he was dead. Yeah. And, I mean, enunciate. (laughs) Oh, he's James Dean. You should see the video of it. He's like not, yeah, he's so slouched down. Yeah. It's I can't like, even sit up straight in my chair. I'm so cool. Yeah, it's exactly right. I, I think of Jim Carrey's impersonation of uh, of James Dean and he nailed it, you know, the slouching down to the point where your shoulders are on the seat of the chair and you're just <laughs> hanging out over it. And yeah, he was, he was the epitome of cool in 1955. I do love those old um, driver safety videos, though. There was one that... Uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart narrated that is just magical, and I I I love watching those. Sometimes they can be a little graphic, um, uh, a lot graphic, yeah, but enjoyable. Yeah, my favorite was Red Asphalt. Mine was, Hey, that's my daughter's head. <laughs> Soon to be a major motion picture. <laughs> Where did I hear that? That's my daughter's head. Oh. I don't remember where that's from, but that I can't take credit for that. Oh, you're taking credit for it. Okay. <laughs> and now, the Box of Oddities brings you that thing in the middle. So, uh, the other night we were in bed and we're reading and Cat uh, got sucked down a click hole on the internet and you were actually reading Steven Seagal's Wikipedia page. Can't stop. <laughs> I have a feeling that Steven Seagal was directly involved with the writing of this Wikipedia page, which even further delights me. Yeah, how is, how is it he is described? Stephen Frederick Seagal is a Russian-Serbian-American actor, film producer, screenwriter, director, martial artist, and musician. And so we went, oh, musician? Mm. And you did a little research, and you found some songs that Stephen Seagal has written, and they are magic. Stephen has a few albums... And I thought, well, these lyrics have to be great, right? Yeah. And I was not wrong. No, they are they are magical. And we thought just reading them doesn't really do it justice. We no. need somebody classy to, to read it. So we thought Garrison Keillor. But of course, we don't know Garrison Keillor, but we know a guy who sounds like him. So here's a guy who sounds like Garrison Keillor reading the lyrics of Steven Seagal songs. You're welcome. When the girls start to strut, you could look at her butt. You shouldn't do that. Think about just that, because her clothes are just as pretty. They're not just to cover her kitty. Let's have a shot of rum. Then I can make you come with me to the ocean. That would be fat. You can be my bow cat. Nice eye towel breeze bring you to your knees. 
We're jamming. Because that dress isn't just the cover her kitty. His philosophies from outer space, babe. The Box of Oddities. Celebrity voice impersonated. All right, your turn. What do you have? I'm very excited about this. I like how you always say that. You're very excited about it. Mm. It's cute. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the song. Usually after you say, what do you got when I haven't gotten to the point, you then start a song where it's all like, what you got for me? What you got for me? <laughs> and then you just stare at me until I... Well, you already did it, so I now I can't. <laughs> all right. What you got for me? What you got for me? What you got? What you got? You got something for me. Second verse, same as the first. No, go ahead. Have you ever thought if you were condemned to death, what your last meal would be? That is so weird because yes. Yes. I I, I do probably more than I should. Mm, well, yeah. I want to discuss that and not just yours. Uh, let's talk about last meals. Okay. So a condemned prisoner's last meal is a customary ritual. Various countries have various traditions in this regard. A little glass of rum, but no formal last meal was granted in uh, historical France because they didn't really let you know days leading up to your execution that you were going to be executed. So it was kind of like... Well, good morning. Uh, looks like today's the day. Mm-hmm, We're mm-hmm. going to chop your head off. Yeah. Here's a little glass of rum. Mm, salute. <laughs> so no meal was really offered. But in the United States, uh, it's very customary. Most states give the meal a day or two before execution. And they use the euphemism special meal rather than uh, last meal. Sure. Because we have to make nice. And it sure. just seems like yeah. something weird to be gentle about. Capital punishment is a legal penalty in the United States currently used by 31 states. Its existence can be traced to the beginning of the American colonies. The United States is actually the only Western country currently applying the death penalty. Sometimes I forget that the world happened before I was alive. (laughs) And so sometimes I'll read something like this sentence. There were no executions in the United States between 1967 and 1977. And my brain goes, what? Uh, Because I didn't know about this time period at all and the debate that was going on in the nation. In 1972, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down capital punishment statuses in Furman versus Georgia, reducing all death sentences pending at that time to life imprisonment. I didn't know that was a thing. That's what saved um, Charlie Manson. A lot of people. Yeah, Yeah, it's nuts. Subsequently, a majority of states passed new death penalty statuses, and the court affirmed the legality of capital punishment in 1976. Since then, more than 7,800 defendants have been sentenced to death. Of these, more than 1,400 have been executed. 161 were sentenced to death in the modern area in the modern era they were exonerated before their execution and more than 2900 are still on death row wow 19 states plus the district of columbia and puerto rico have abolished the death penalty for all crimes we're one of them by the way maine so sometimes a prisoner will share their last meal with another inmate uh francis crowley did that with John Resco. Or 
has the meal distributed among other inmates, which was requested by Raymond Fernandez. Um, In some places, the warden actually will enjoy the last meal with the condemned. Really? That's interesting. I had never heard that. The thing is, though, if I were going to be executed, my tummy would be a little upset, and I don't think I'd be able to eat. I mean, I can't eat if I have a meeting that I don't want to go to. Yeah. yeah. Your tum tum's very sensitive. It is. You're like a delicate flower. I'm a delicate flower. Yeah. No, and that's not uncommon. We're actually going to get to that. In September 2011, the state of Texas abolished all special last meal requests after condemned prisoner Lawrence Russell Brewer requested a huge last meal. His last meal request was for a plate of two chicken fried steaks with gravy and sliced onions, a triple patty bacon cheeseburger, a cheese omelet with ground beef, tomatoes, onions, bell peppers, jalapeno, a bowl of fried okra with ketchup, a pound of barbecued meat with half a loaf of white bread, a portion of three fajitas, a meat lover's pizza topped with pepperoni, ham, (laughs) beef, bacon, and sausage, a pint of bluebell ice cream, a slab of peanut butter fudge with crushed peanuts, and a serving equivalent to three root beers. Wow. Of which he ate exactly none of. What? He said he wasn't hungry. Oh, yeah. Reality set in. Yeah. Mm. The request and it being delivered upon was deemed highly inappropriate. Um, Many people got on board this, including uh, state senators, and they worked toward ending the practice in Texas. So now last meals in Texas are not a thing. You are given what is made for dinner that night. In many cases, special meals or last meals are actually not on your last night. Um, It can be one or two days before. Some states have special rules about what you can request. For instance, in Tennessee, they have a 29-day rotating menu. So every first of the menu is hot dogs. Every second of the menu is chili. Every third of the menu is grilled cheese or whatever. These are just examples. Sure. Um, And the condemned can choose from any one of those 29, but can't have anything outside of that. Okay. All right. So that's kind of a, you know... A token gesture, really, more than anything. Right. But I I think that there are those who would say, hey, these people obviously did something really bad. They're going to be executed for it. Um, Why are we giving them special food? Why don't we give them horrible food for their last meal? That's actually a a point that many people have made, um, saying that the victims of these people were not granted a last meal Mm. and that it's almost... Uh, counterintuitive that the finality of your punishment uh, be with ice cream. In other words, here's what we have for you, sir. A tray of broken glass shards and uh, a side of cigarette butts. Bon appetit. Uh, Speaking of cigarette butts, not allowed. They can't Uh, have a smoke? No. Because it's bad for them? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. Um, No, in in no state is alcohol or tobacco allowed to be a part of your last meal. Though Hmm. there were a couple of uh, prisoners that I did see in the 70s who are granted like a shot of Jim Beam or something like that with their last meal. In Florida, the food for your last meal must be purchased locally, and the cost of it is limited to $40. In Oklahoma, 
Cost is limited to $15. 15 bucks. I guess that's a good way to control the quantities that people order. Exactly. Hey, here's a gift card to Chili's for 25 bucks. <laughs> and it was Louisiana where the prison warden typically will join the condemned prisoner for the last meal. On one occasion, the warden paid for an inmate's lobster dinner. Hmm. I don't know if I agree with that. Food photographer Henry Hargraves has never agreed with the practice of the death penalty. So when he heard in 2011 that Texas was abolishing that special meal request for inmates, he became very interested in the tradition and started a series of photos that um, are actually quite lovely. He recreates and photographs last meals. Oh, that's cool. Some of which include the last meal of John Wayne Gacy, who was put to death in Illinois by lethal injection at the age of 52. He was sentenced to death for rape and 33 counts of murder. For his last meal, Gacy requested 12 fried shrimp, a bucket of original recipe KFC, French fries, and a pound of strawberries. Hmm. Timothy McVeigh. The American terrorist behind the Oklahoma City bombing was put to death in Indiana by lethal injection at the age of 33. He was sentenced to death for 168 counts of murder. And for his last meal, McVeigh requested two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Oh, I heard that. Yeah, that sounds familiar. That's a lot of ice cream. That is a lot of ice cream. If I ate two pints of... Uh of ice cream, I would be begging them to kill me. <laughs> my cramps. Oh, I have uh, searing abdominal cramps. Just nothing's moving. Fire that chair up. <clears throat> Ronnie Threadgood was put to death in Texas by lethal injection at the age of 40. He was sentenced to death for murder. For his last meal, Threadgood requested baked chicken, mashed potatoes with country gravy, vegetables, sweet peas, bread, tea, water, and punch. However, he was one of the last to have his request formally put in for his last meal. But Texas abolished it in between the time of his request and oh, his execution. So close. So he put in his request. He did not get that. He instead got the same meal that everybody else got uh, before he was executed. Do we know what that was? Probably those big rubbery boiled hot dogs that they used to serve at school when we were kids with a scoop of mashed potatoes, instant mashed potatoes and green beans in a roll. Well, I don't know. I know that there are some places where instead of what everybody else is getting, they just have a standard last meal. So if you don't request anything, this is what you get which is what happened with Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy confessed to the murder of at least 30 people shortly before his execution in 1989, and he didn't want a special meal, so he was given what they have to offer at Florida State Prison as the traditional last meal, which is a medium-rare steak, eggs over easy, toast with butter and jelly, hash browns, milk, coffee, and juice. Hmm. Well, that's a that's a decent meal. It is. I think it's weird to combine toast with jam and butter with steak, but eh, steak and eggs. It's like it's like a hearty breakfast. Sure, it's the breakfast of a lumberjack. So there, okay. Yeah, mm. that's crazy. How about this? Although the details remain unconfirmed, according to some sources, former Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein was given permission to eat his favorite meal before his death in 2006, which was boiled chicken and rice paired with several cups of hot water laced with honey. Okay. Eileen Warnos 
proclaimed to the bitter end that uh, her crimes were self-defense. However, she was put to death by lethal injection in 2002. She declined a final meal, instead asked for a single cup of coffee. The man convicted of murdering Charles Lindbergh's baby, Bruno Richard Hopman, opted for a final meal of chicken, buttered peas, french fries, olives, celery, cherries, and a slice of cake before his execution in 1936. These are some strange combinations. This almost sounds like the type of stuff that uh, women crave when they're pregnant. Give me fried eggs and uh, peas would be nice. I'll have some of that. Well, I think it's a kind of a similar experience is your your brain's probably going nuts and yeah. trying to figure out how to satisfy these big feelings that you're having. Right. And you, yeah. you, in both cases, you feel like you're about to die. Probably, yes. Victor Fuger was the last person put to death in the state of Iowa. And he's probably actually better known for his last meal than his crime. He was put to death by the gallows in 1963. His final meal was a single olive. Was there any uh, explanation as to what his motivation for having a single olive was? No. Was he trying to make some sort of a statement? I don't know. But I thought that this would be a good one to end on, speaking of statements. In 2007, a man named Philip Workman was being put to death by the state of Tennessee. And for his last meal, Workman requested that a vegetarian pizza be donated to a homeless person. No one specifically, but that his last meal went to someone who needed it. Interesting. Prison officials denied that request. <laughs> nope. <laughs> saying that these they, big rubbery hot dogs that they, are boiled. They don't donate to charities. But uh, word got out and donors from around the country rose to the occasion, donating hundreds of pizzas across the nation to homeless shelters in the Nashville area. That's pretty great. Which is, I think, amazing. And it's when I look at last meals, I think it's fascinating. I think it's interesting to know what people want. And then I read this part of it and I thought about what a waste it is to provide these last meals, these, even if they're relatively simple and how many people really could use that food. And, and this, I just think was a beautiful way to turn it around. That is. Maybe make your last act something somewhat selfless. That's, be- that's really quite beautiful, actually. I thought it was nice. So what would you have for your last meal? You know, I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> Two pints of chocolate chip ice cream? Um, you do yours first. Um, okay, well, we're both vegetarian. Right. But really, at that point, fuck it. Um, I would say I would... I love seafood. That's, I, I would go with lobster, and I would go with uh, fried scallops, mashed potatoes, lots of butter, um, corn, probably on the cob, and maybe uh, maybe a nice hot roll. That's a very rounded meal. Lots of starch. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that suits you. That's you're, what I You're do. a carb monster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love berries more than pretty much anything. Uh, pineapple, also. I think I would I would want I would request fruits of various types. <laughs> okay, you're gonna die. Eat something bad for you. No, I enjoy fruit. Nope. Don't mock me. Okay, I'm not mocking. I'm not mocking. I'm not a mocker. Uh, so maybe maybe like a fruit plate and cheesecake? 
Cheesecake. Okay. I think, sure. you know, sure. Ra- and I think cheesecake and fruit would go really nicely together. Like a little raspberry drizzle on the top of that cheesecake. Mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. tie it all in. And then and then a cup of black coffee. Just to wash it down with. Yeah. Yeah. Black coffee is good prison drink. I actually want that meal right now. <laughs> you do? No, that's, that's a good lesson. You know, every day could be your last. And why not eat sure. those things on the regs? On the regs? Yeah, on the regular. Ah, just want to make sure you said regs. Oh, well, I'm I will eat whatever I want when I'm on the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to stand between you and whatever it is you want to eat. That's fine. You do you do you. So there you go. That's last meals. By the way, that series by the photographer mm-hmm. Henry Hairgraves is called No Seconds and a Year of Killing and that explores the inmates requested last meals. Okay. In case you want to check it out. Box of Oddities twice a week. We love hanging out with you guys. Thanks for taking the time to to do that. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, Instagram. Uh, We've got merch on the website, theboxofoddities.com. And we will see you Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.